If you were with us last week, you know where we have started a new sermon series. And our sermon series is called The Essentials of a Thriving Church. Essentials of a Thriving Church. And the purpose of this series is for us as a church family uh, to understand why we do what we do, why we focus on what we focus on, where we go to find truth, why we stand, where we stand on certain areas, um, all of those things. Important for us... uh, As we have kids that we're trying to teach what's important about church life, as we ourselves are trying to understand what is important for our church to do and to be and to all of those things, we're trying to help us through Scripture understand what's important. We also want to be confident when we come to church to know we are coming to glorify God with His purposes in mind, and we're, we're being driven by what He tells us in Scripture. Last week, that was our first essential of a, thr- of a thriving church, is a church that uncovers God's truth. It was all about coming to Scripture. Hold, remember, the, the, the Scripture is held up in God's true church. It is a pillar and buttress of the truth. That's what the church is. We look to Scripture. We don't look to people's opinions. We don't look to culture. We look to Scripture to tell us what the church is supposed to be, what the church is supposed to do. Now this week, we take that concept of looking at the truth and we dive into what that means for us individually and as, as humanity. Now our next essential for a thriving church is that it cherishes God's good news. It cherishes good news. That's all about the gospel. Pastor Dan and the songs that he pick, picked and all of that this morning is driving us to the gospel. And we're going to talk about this morning, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is God's good news. I had one professor in Bible college, first semester evangelism class. We came in, and he walks in. The first thing he says is, Euangelion! Euangelion! Walking up and down the aisles. And all the students, of course, were just out of, fresh out of high school, and were like, Euangelion? What's this, what's this talking about? As he got to explain, Euangelion is the Greek word for gospel, good news. And it's the idea that God's word gives us the gospel about Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking at today. And that's what the church, the true, healthy, thriving church, has to have a true understanding of the gospel, must proclaim it, must be what it is, it is revolves around. It is about the gospel. That's what we are as a church. Um, we are excited about... Um, doing what God calls us to do because of the gospel. Have you ever been on a phone call, and as you're on that phone call, it starts to, to go out on you? You know, Maybe you're talking to your wife, or you're talking to your boss, you're having an important conversation, and pretty, uh, uh, you, it's really important for you to no, that, pick the kids up at, oh, did, did you get that? And you're like, wait... No, I didn't. And then pretty soon, cut off. You can't hear them. You look at your phone. Uh, it's still going like you're on the call, and you, you can't hear them. You end, up, you end up hanging up. You call them back. And they said, I could hear everything you were saying, but you couldn't hear me. Have you ever had those? You know, what's happening? The message, the communication there is breaking down, right? You're not able to hear clearly, understand clearly, and whatever is trying to be communicated is not getting across. 
You cannot make a decision based on a call like that, based on a communication like that. It has to be clear. It has to be understood. As we think about the gospel, this is true for what we as a church represent and, and proclaim. Our gospel message has been clearly given to us through Scripture, so there should be no avenue or way where we sidestep any aspect of the gospel. We don't leave it out. We don't say, ah, that's, that's not what we should talk about. That's not what I want to talk about. That's not what people want to hear. There should be no aspect of the gospel that we leave out. We have to cherish God's good news. Today we're going to be talking about the gospel and conversion. And the main message I want you to leave with today is that a healthy, thriving church must be committed to God's message. A healthy, thriving church must be committed to God's message. And God's message is what's underlined there because it's not what I, again, uh, the pastor, the church can come up that is not based on Scripture. This is the reason why we start in the order that we do. It has to be God's Word that is lifted high, and then we go to God's Word to develop what His message is. If we don't have a high view of God's Word, who's developing that gospel message? Well, it becomes anything I want it to be. It becomes anything somebody else wants the gospel, the good news to be. No, it's got to be Scripture is developing the gospel message for us, telling us what it is. We are just God's tools to proclaim that as a church family and as a church body. A healthy, thriving church must be committed to that message. So the question we're going to look at this morning, and we're going to answer it in three different ways, is this. What does the gospel look like? in a healthy church? What does the gospel look like in a healthy church? Let's answer it, number one, this way. The gospel is understood and proclaimed properly. The gospel is understood and proclaimed properly. What does that mean? That means that as you come to a, a healthy, thriving church that holds up God's word and is proclaiming the gospel message, as it proclaims that message, it is not proclaimed like a politician who is trying to watch out for minefields, not stepping on certain things that people will be sad about or mad about. We're not proclaiming the gospel like a politician. We're also not proclaiming the gospel like a celebrity that's giving an apology. Sorry that the gospel is what it is. Sorry that we have to say this or not say this. We're not proclaiming the gospel like any of those negative, Type, type of scenarios. On the contrary, a healthy church knows and proclaims the only true gospel message. We're going to look at what that looks like today. We're going to get to John 3 in just a minute. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John 3. It's the same passage that Pastor Dan read for us just a few minutes ago. And it gives us a clear understanding. As we understand, we're going to get to that in just a moment. But before we get to the clear gospel message, even shown in John 3, um, what I wanted to go through is just a couple false ideas about what the gospel is. As I've mentioned already, we, we can see in culture the gospel given in a wrong way, understood in a wrong way, and people can take that to think, I truly believe and understand the gospel. So we want to be clear about what some of those wrong ways about viewing the gospel, what they look like. So false ideas about what the gospel is. First, everything's going to be okay. Just this idea that you come around someone and with uh, this idea of, oh, the gospel is just me going to tell everyone, hey, it's going to be okay. Someone's going through a tough time. Someone's uh, not able to 
work through a diagnosis from the doctor without feeling depressed, and we come alongside him and say, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. I mean, that's not the heart message of the gospel. Another false idea about the gospel is that God's love covers all, no matter what. God's love covers all, no matter what. Now, as we look at some of these false ideas, you're going to think to yourself, well, how does that, that, that plays into it? There are some half-truths in these. Does God's love cover all? Yes, if it's based on the truth about Jesus Christ and what he did for you, and it looks to the cross, we know that it covers our sin, it gives us salvation. But if we blankly or blindly tell everybody, don't worry about it, God loves you. God will forgive you no matter what. And we don't develop that message further than God is love. That's not the full gospel message. And it gives everybody a false hope that God is so loving, this idea of universalism that it doesn't matter what I do, doesn't matter what I believe, or it doesn't matter how I live my life, God in the end is just going to forgive everything. That's not the heart of the gospel message either. Another false idea about the gospel is that Jesus just wants to be your friend. Well, except Jesus, he wants to be your best friend. God does want to be your friend through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, through the recognition of sin, all of those things we're going to get to in just a minute. Last one, following Jesus will produce a better life. Well, just accept Jesus, your life will be so much better. It, we know that that's true, because it, with, with accepting Jesus, it comes with peace and hope for a future and an eternity and a relationship with our Creator. We know that that's true, but if we don't explain any of those things and just say, you know, you'll have a better life if you just accept Jesus. People are accepting, falsely accepting on wrong premises and thinking that they really have this relationship with Jesus. That is not the heart of the gospel message at all. Now, let's look at John 3, passage we've had read for us already. Let's hone in. We're going to skip down to verse 14. John 3.14, remember in this passage, he's talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a ruler of Israel. He's, one, he's at the top, one of the top tiers of the teachers of Israel. All the Jewish people come to him. He's got the Old Testament memorized like the back of his hand. But this new individual comes on the scene named Jesus, doing miracles, doing incredible things that his mind can't fathom. And he just has to go talk to this person but he doesn't want anybody else in Israel to see him because he's the one that's supposed to know all the answers. So he sets up this meeting. He goes to talk to Jesus at night. Jesus has this conversation with him, and as we've heard, it unfolds. And, And Jesus is opening up scriptures to explain salvation to Nicodemus, this teacher of Israel. Look at verse 14. He says in the midst of this conversation, Jesus talking, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He starts with the the picture. No doubt uh, Nicodemus could remember back to that Old Testament story that as the the Israelites came out of Egypt, they were started to be bitten by serpents, and God had Moses fashion an iron serpent, set it up on a pole, and he said, have everybody look to that serpent that is set up high, and when they do, they're saved. The poison will not affect him. And what are we given this picture for here is because it's the picture of Jesus on the cross. 
Anytime somebody looks to Jesus, his work on the cross, for their salvation, they will be saved. Nothing except that work on the cross will bring salvation. He continues, look at verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then verse 16. Verse 16, very uh, popular. Very, uh, maybe you've read this, you've memorized it in Awana. Probably the most well-known verse in the Bible. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now we've got to stop and we've got to divide this up, because I feel like with this verse specifically, we've heard it so many times, we've memorized it so many times, that it just rolls right through our mind without stopping and breaking it. What is this really saying to us? So the very first part of this verse is, God loved the world. Now, what is he talking about? He's not talking about the physical uh, earth or the universe. He's talking about the people that he created in this world. We can go to Genesis and we can say that, see that God created us different. He created us in the image of himself. And because of that, he's, we, we are not like the animals. And he has a love for us and a care for us that when we are in need of, of something we can't produce ourselves. He is willing to go outside of his normal uh, process to go and show love to us. It says, for God so loved the world, that means all the people in the world. This is what he did. He didn't just sit back when we were, we were in need. He, he took action. He said, that he gave his only son. That he gave his only son. Now, his only son referring to Jesus is talking, but he's referring to himself. Now, the son of God, that phrase, that term, does not mean that God had a, a, a child and it was Jesus. It means that they were begotten of the same material. They were one in essence. And, and so when he gave his only son, it's saying that God gave of himself. He sent Jesus, which is begotten, same uh, essence, sent Jesus himself to provide salvation. Okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, what's at the heart of the middle section of that? Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That means that those on the flip side of it, those who do not believe in Jesus, God's only son, guess what? It says that they will perish and they will not have eternal life. So this verse, whether it's such a great a blessing for us as we think of what God did. It's explaining it to us completely, but on the other side of it as well, he's saying that those who don't trust in Jesus, they have earned God's just wrath and punishment. And in eternal life, they will have an eternal life, but it will not be the glorious life with their Savior, without torment. Uh, their eternal life will be in a different place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth separated from God for all of eternity. Uh, this is not a place uh, that anyone would want to go. As Pastor Dan mentioned about the kids, of course, kids are going to say, no, I don't want to go to that. So they want salvation. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his own son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed 
in the name of the only Son of God. Now this message, though clear, this one passage that we've looked at um, helps us understand what that message is. There are so many people in our world and in our culture that shy away from the clear message of the gospel. And then there are many people that listen to those false teaching and preaching and of the gospel and become followers of these false you know, preachers and, and the false gospel. We have to be very careful of those that are unwilling to give the full gospel. One of those individuals um, is a prosperity gospel preacher. His name's Joel Olstein. You've probably heard of him. He's one of the you know, authors of multi-million dollar selling books, a million, dollar, a million copies of different books and different things. And as he was interviewed one time, he was asked about um, why doesn't he talk so much about sin? And so I want to actually play that clip and show his, his explanation of it. Here, I got it, Jody. So listen to what he says. I know that I'm doing what I believe to the best of my ability that God's called me to do, and that's to bring hope to people, to try to lift people, and to try to get people interested that are not necessarily churchgoers. And I think that's where, you know, we've seen a lot of favor. And like I mentioned earlier, a lot of people that watch don't go to church. And so, you know, I just feel like that God's given us all different gifts, and, and I, just, I stay focused on what God's called me to do. Do you ever feel like you need to talk about sin more? You know what, I talk, I just feel like I do it in a different way. I, I get that, you know, that criticism sometimes, but, you know, I'm still one of the old-fashioned ones that give an altar call to every service and on every television broadcast. And, you know, when I talk about it, I talk about, you know, how we can become better, how we can overcome. And I just, um, you know, I, I probably categorize it bigger, in, but, but I don't feel like I'm supposed to go and beat people down. Most people know what they're doing wrong. You know, the scripture I come back to, it says the goodness of God leads people to repentance. And so when I tell people, like I will tomorrow night, that you know what? You may have made mistakes. You may have done wrong. But you know what? God is on your side. You can receive forgiveness. He's got mercy for every sin. You know, that's how I do it. And, you know, we've seen uh, thousands of people come to know the Lord. It's, it's a hard uh, even video clip to watch because asked directly about, do you think you should tell people about their sin you see how he dances around it. And he says, I, I, I don't really want to address sin. I just want to tell people how they can be better, how they can be more comfortable, how they can be, you know, be happy in the life that they have. You know, the heart message is a sinful state. And because when we recognize our sinful state, then and only then do we look for a Savior who is Jesus Christ. Only when we recognize there's nothing in and of ourselves that we can do for our own salvation that we will say, what, who do I turn to? Where do I turn? And if I'm not willing to say, Scripture calls us out and says, look at your sin. Recognize you know, how filthy we are. Yeah, our good works are as filthy rags in the face of God's holiness. If we don't recognize this, if we don't preach and teach this, people will not accept the true gospel. They might be accepting something, but it's not the true gospel. We've got to be willing as a church and even as friends of individuals that we talk to, be willing to say, have you thought about your sin and your sin, what it's going to look like when you stand before God? Is it something that you've dealt with, that you've taken care of, and how have you taken care of it? Now that leads us to the question, well, what is the true gospel message of salvation? I want to be very clear and help us understand and look at this uh, 
what does the true gospel message of salvation look like? Well, number one, we have to admit you are a sinner that needs to be saved. The first step in our salvation is acknowledging we are sinners. We can look at the the passages, Genesis, Adam and Eve fell into sin. Their sin was was, passed on to all of humanity. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned. All of us have sinned and are, are guilty before God. We are sinners. We have to admit that. Number two step, you have to admit that you can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. As much as you want to try, you cannot save yourself. When we those two things in our mind, in our heart, it, it helps us. It makes us look for someone who's going to bring that salvation. Number three, <clears throat> we need to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. We're going to talk about that uh, on our number two uh, second here. What repentance looks like. But what we find here is repent and believe. Believe Jesus is God's son and that he died and rose again to offer you salvation. And then the last step of salvation is confess Jesus as your savior and live for him. Yeah, as you repent and you turn to Jesus, you are, with the rest of your life, confessing he's the one that you're going to live for. He is your Savior. And in that confession, it's going to make a change, a difference in how you live. You're now going to live for him. He, he's always going to be on your mind throughout the day, throughout the week. You're going to be thinking, yeah, is what I'm doing pleasing to God? Is what I'm doing in line with what he wants me to do? It's going to be a change of life. You know, some will say that, we can do all of the things except step four, and it's okay. You know, hey, I, I've made the confession. I've verbally uh, said that I want to follow Jesus, but, you know, my life isn't showing it. We're going to have a little bit more discussion about that. But confess Jesus as your Savior and live for him. Today we're looking at a healthy, thriving church and how they must be committed to God's message. Uh, what does it look like? The gospel is understood and proclaimed and proclaim, that means biblically. Biblically, that's properly is biblically. That brings us to our second point for the day. The gospel is genuinely accepted and lived out. The gospel is genuinely accepted and lived out. <clears throat> Bernie Madoff was one of the fakers this world has ever known. And my wife's probably laughing and chuckling. We're, we're in the middle of watching a uh, documentary on Bernie Madoff uh, on Netflix. And if you know who Bernie Madoff is, I say he's one of the biggest fakers because for years, 20 years or so, he perpetuated this lie that he was an incredible investor for people. He, he swindled people into giving them all of their money and life savings and that he was going to invest it for them and the returns they were getting were incredible, out of this world. Okay, well, it was found out in 2008 that it was all a lie. It was all a Ponzi scheme. He was taking everybody's money, and he was not investing anything. Okay, Upwards, uh, $19 billion is about what he stole from people. All of it, a big lie. And he lived it for 20 years, this lie. Now, the question for us today, is that what your gospel understanding and acceptance looks like? Is it for many, many years that you have perpetuated a lie of what you believed and what you thought and who Jesus is for you? I hope not. 
And, and maybe even as you hear that, that our title and, and message topic today was going to be the gospel and conversion, you're like, oh, I've heard this. You know, this, you know uh, we'll get through it, but hopefully that's not your heart today. Hopefully your heart is every time that I get to revisit what Jesus did for me is a blessing, is an exciting time of recognizing my sin and God's merciful and gracious salvation and, and helping me understand and drawing me to him. In our church, in a uh, thriving, healthy church, we want the gospel um, genuinely accepted and lived out. <clears throat> Turn over to Mark 1, 14 and 15. Mark chapter 1 is, of course, the beginning of Mark's gospel about Jesus. And in verses 14 and 15, he says this. He says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, that's what we want to look at today. What, what, and this, this second point here, answering our question, what does the gospel look like in a healthy church, is that the gospel is understood as repenting and believing. That's what conversion looks like, is repenting of your old sinful ways of life and believing in Jesus Christ. Uh, the very essence of the gospel is given here. Two verses. John was arrested. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. He tells us that Jesus is proclaiming the gospel. Then he proceeds in the verse to tell us what that gospel looks like. And it says the time of fulfillment is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel Jesus is talking about is repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. Okay? That's what leads to conversion. That's what leads to accepting and following and living out Conversion is repentance and belief. What is repentance? Repentance is the idea of turning from, turning away. Uh, so when we repent of our sin, we acknowledge that it is sin, that God has called it sin. And when we, uh, when we compare it to God's holiness, it does not fall in line with God's holiness. When we see that sin is sin, we're calling that sin what God calls it, sin. Sin is something that is not good, carries us away from God, and actually causes a break in relationship with our Creator God. So, sin is not good for us. When the Bible tells us to repent, it's saying, turn from your evil, wicked ways that do not align with God's holiness, and ask God's help to align yourself with God's holiness. Turn away from it. That's what repentance looks like. Now, as we had false ideas of the gospel, there are also false ideas of conversion. What do some of these look like? Well, one of them might be that false ideas of conversion. Well, I am saved because I try to be good. I'm, I'm saved because I try to be good. And someone would think, well, I have this connection with Jesus, and I'm spiritual, and so I, I try to do what's good, so that's got to mean that I'm, I have some relationship with Jesus. And asked about a conversion time or experience, they would say, well, you know, I just try to be good. And I hope that that is good enough uh, for me to have that relationship with God. Another false idea about conversion is that, well, I'm saved because I've been baptized and I go to church. I'm saved because I've been baptized and I go to church. And it's unfortunate and it's sad that these specific things have even been 
uh, perpetrated by false teachers and churches that would say, hey, make sure you're baptized. Get your kids as a baby baptized because that really is going to solidify that their, their original sin has been taken away. And that will make them part of God's family. Those are sentiments and uh, false lies that we find nowhere in Scripture. Okay? We are not saved through baptism and going to church or doing good things. Another false idea about conversion. Uh, I'm saved because uh, I said a prayer of conversion once. I'm saved because I said a prayer of conversion once. Okay? Now, Let's talk about that for a minute because we can remember back to the time that we maybe said that prayer where our hearts changed. But what is it that I'm basing my salvation on? Is it that one prayer that I did one time ago and that prayer is I'm putting all of my hope and trust in that prayer? Or is it what my heart truly believed and trusted in through the work of Jesus Christ? If I'm putting my work in all of that prayer, You know what? There's going to be times when I'm scared, I'm worried. Did I say the right things? Do I remember what I said? Did I truly believe and accept? Well, you know, my sins, they're still present. So did that prayer really uh, uh, cause an effect in my heart where I truly was saved? I, I remember one seminary professor that talked on this and really helped me understand this clearly, that it's not the prayer that saves an individual. It's what's behind that prayer in the heart of an individual that changes. The heart that repents of his sin, recognizes and repents of his sin. The heart that turns to Jesus. You know, even in our Sunday school classes, I can remember growing up, I'd have certain Sunday school teachers that would say, just accept Jesus into your heart. Now, that is, that is biblical language. It does talk about having Jesus in your heart. But the next question that has to be asked by a parent as you're trying to help develop your kid's understanding of the gospel is, okay, but what does that mean to you? What does it mean to accept Jesus into your heart? What do you have to believe? And then it it helps develop, well, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And I know that Savior is only Jesus and his work, what he did on the cross. He's the perfect uh, God-man, the only one who was the perfect sacrifice. it leads to all of that conversation by saying, what does it mean to accept Jesus into your heart? Yeah, we can't have this blank statement of, I'm saved because I had this one prayer one time ago. It's a heart change because of what you believe and trust. Our salvation is based on truth, on truth. Last false idea. I'm saved even though I'm okay with continuing in sin. I'm saved even though I'm okay with continuing in sin. This is the person who says, you know, I've had that prayer. I've had that uh, time where I accepted Jesus. But, uh, you know, there's these things in my life I don't want to change. I don't want to get rid of. And I'm just going to live that way, and it's fine. Now, don't get me wrong. Even as believers, we're going to have sins that we struggle with. We fail at times. But any time that a true believer thinks of his sin, he should not be okay in his sin. He does not want to keep his sin. And specifically, he should take steps to try to, uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit, get rid of that sin. If we find an individual that is just okay living in his sin and still says he has a relationship with Jesus, it's a red flag to say, is he truly saved? And And it's not our job to really question, but it is our job to pray in a truthful way, to say, man, 
this, this person's struggling. God, help them to see their sin. And if they're not saved, bring them to an understanding of their sin and need for the Savior. All of these false ways of conversion that we have to be aware of and so that we can understand how to give the gospel truthful and biblical way. Turn over to Acts 2, 36. Acts 2.36 says this. This is Peter. He's uh, preaching on the day of Pentecost. And as he gets up, the Holy Spirit has affected all the people there. They're in the town of Jerusalem. And they're asking what what is with uh, everything that's going on. And what is the true message? Peter gets up and he preaches. And at the end of his message, he says this. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They say, Peter, what do we do? We have this work, this pressure on us. You've told us the truth. What's the next step? And Peter says, clearly, repent and be baptized. Now, you might, might think, well, he's saying be baptized here, but let's see what his baptism is connected to. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So baptism, we see, is coming after their acknowledgement of who Jesus Christ is, their acknowledgement of sin, and they need a Savior. It's coming after salvation. Repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Time and time again throughout the book of Acts, we, we, we ask that question, what does the gospel look like? It looks like repent and believe. Repent and believe. And that repentance and belief is going to change our forward direction, our actions in life. How about you today? Does that, is that what it looks like for you? Have you repented and believed And has that changed how you live? Do you give uh, more importance to the things of God than to the things that you like, than to the things of the world, than to your sins? Do you turn from your sins and want to please your heavenly Father because of what he's done for you and because who he has become for you? Your Savior, your Savior. Is that you? Does that uh, describe who you are? Repent and believe. Time and time again, Acts 17.30 says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Acts 2.20 and 21, I do not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in the public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith. That's what conversion looks like. At the end of Acts, Acts 20 26. But I, Paul, declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Repent, turn to God, perform deeds keeping with their repentance. Uh, Repentance, faith, action moving forward, a life lived for Christ. Is that you? Does that describe you? Now, Even though the scripture clearly lays out what 
the gospel and conversion looks like and what has to take place, there are times that there, there will be people that make false professions of faith. Now, why might that happen? Why might there be someone who makes a false profession of faith? A couple different reasons I've come up with, maybe some that you could add to it yourself. Number one, they might make a false profession to please another person. They might make a false profession to please another person. You know, the most typical scenario in this would be a child who wants to please a parent, who genuinely has a concern for the future of their child, and they would make a profession because they're trying to please their parent. Now, that puts a lot of weight of responsibility on us as parents. Not to try to wield the gospel as a hammer, not to try to make it uh, something that it's not, not to try to make our kids say a prayer and do a thing so that we can have comfort and make sure on our own side that we're, we're happy that, that they've made this profession. No, we, we truly have to have a desire to see our children's heart affected by the gospel, a, a love for the Savior, you know, a recognition of their sin. And what that means for parents, it's not a one-time conversation where yeah, I got them to say a prayer at the end of that, and now I don't have to go back and ever talk to them about their spiritual walk and about how God is looking in their life and the sins that they're struggling with, how they're interacting with that. That's not what it looks like. It's a continual prayer for our kids and bringing them back to the gospel time and time again. Someone might make a false profession to please another person. Another uh, scenario is that someone might make a false profession um, because of an emotional high. They're at a service, they're at an event, and their emotions run high, and because of the emotional state that they're in, they decide, I just need to accept Jesus. Now, that is, of course, there are emotions that are involved in our decision to accept Christ. We're happy that he brings us to an understanding of our sin, and that we our emotions should be part of that process, but, but it's not all of the process. The emotions have to be connected to the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel message, that we're sinners, that we need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. You know, if our emotions are coming because of a recognition of all of that, wonderful. That's what we should. There are times we're singing songs and my emotions get the better of me and I got to stop. I can't sing because... Having Jesus as your Savior, it is emotional. It is wonderful to have your emotions show you the greatness of God. But if we are just having the emotions without the truth behind that, it's not the true gospel. It's not true salvation. Someone might make a false profession for that. Another reason, they might make a false profession so that they can have a better life on earth. Someone tells them, well, just trust Jesus and everything's going to be better for you. You know? False profession. I'll do that. And you know what happens in many of those scenarios? Someone makes a profession and then as life situations happen, not as good as they hoped they were going to be because they're following Jesus now, they fall away. They turn away because it was a false premise that, hey, life is going to be easy. Your health is going to be longer and you won't be sick and you're going to get money and all this stuff. That's not what the Christian message is about. The Christian message is, you're a sinner in need of a Savior. That Savior is Jesus Christ. He offers uh, the salvation through his work on the cross. Lastly, 
They might make a false profession to accept, be accepted into a group, a group of friends, maybe a family of brothers and sisters who have all been, have accepted Jesus, and they start to think, well, I just, I want to be part of that group. So they make a false profession. We got to be careful of these false professions, and that we're not perpetuating that, and that it's a continual conversation about the gospel. How do we know if someone's profession is real? Well, Scripture is clear to us. The reason we know someone's profession is real is because they continue in the gospel. They continue in the work that God has started in their heart. They're going to continue in faith and practice. John 1, 2, 18 and 19 says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now, sometimes you hear the word Antichrist and you automatically hear of the end-time events and this one person. That's not what it's talking about here in John. The Antichrist is someone who is anti-Christ, someone who is against Christ. And in the passage we're talking about here in John, he's talking to a church that many of these Antichrists, these people who are against his message, were actually part of their congregation. They were there. They saw him grow up. They had professions of faith. But he is saying that they now have turned against Christ. Now, children, the last hour has come. The Antichrist is coming. And so many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Then verse 19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. He's saying that how do we understand if someone's conversion and accepting of the gospel is real and true? They continue in the gospel. They continue with us. A true believer will continue till the end. He will not give up. He will not turn away because it was genuine that he accepted faith through Jesus Christ. A couple of verses down in that same passage, 1 John 2, 22, says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He whom denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. Now, if what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. Where does salvation come from? It comes in the abiding in the work of Jesus Christ. Those who continue and abide in it are proving that they are true children of God. So those who turn away, we ask that question. It's, it's not us to make the determination, but were they truly a believer of Jesus Christ? Because if they were, they would not turn away. God would not let them out of their hands. Scripture tells us that. He's the one that holds us. We, and we have to be so thankful for that because if it wasn't God holding his children, turning away, I'd be falling away. He's the one we, we're thankful to that he holds us and he holds his family. In his hand. A healthy, thriving church must be committed to God's message. The gospel is understood and proclaimed properly in a thriving church. The gospel is genuinely accepted and lived out. And third, one that we get to, the gospel is central and of utmost importance. The gospel is central and of utmost importance. About two weeks ago, I made some pulled pork sandwiches for my family. And I love pulled pork sandwiches. But the recipe that I used, it, it wasn't bad. 
And of course, you put a bunch of seasoning in there, you put a bunch of mix in there, you get it all done, and it wasn't bad. You know, I ate it and I thought it was okay, um, but I thought I'd had better. But, you know, there were leftovers. So with five kids, it doesn't matter. You always eat the leftovers. It's just, it's going to happen. So we uh, put it away in the fridge and it sat there for a day or two. And I pulled it out a couple days later to eat it. I had a sandwich and I was like, this is delicious. This is way better than it was before. And, and what happened in that situation? I think it sat in all of those seasonings, all those mixes, and it, it, it tasted a lot better the second time around. That's not usually how it goes with leftovers, right? But it was marinating, in, and it was, it was delicious. Now, as we think about the gospel and how it should be affecting us and how in a healthy church it has to be present all the time, the gospel should be something that we're marinating in and we should come back to frequently. And it shouldn't be something that leaves us stale and sick of hearing about. It is something fresh and new every single time because it leads us to who Jesus is. And we cannot plumb the depths of the gospel message. That means that we cannot get to the bottom of how uh, incredible it is for us that Jesus came to save us. Think about it. He's God. Why would he lower himself to, to take on humanity, this beings that he created, like why would he become something that he created? He did that all for us and for love and so that we wouldn't have to pay for our own sin. The gospel has to be central and of utmost importance for a church that is thriving. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Paul is the one preaching and teaching here in 1 Corinthians. And he says this, uh, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the, of, of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What does he say? I didn't try to coax you. I didn't try to uh, doctor my message so that you would like it, so that your ears would be tickled and you would come back and listen to me. He said, no, I put all of that away. I cared nothing about that. What I focused on and what was most important to me was that you understand Jesus Christ and him crucified. That gives us right to the gospel message. Why was Jesus, who Jesus Christ was, he's the son of God, only perfect savior, and that he was crucified. He was crucified for your sins and my sins because we could not pay for our own sins. I, Paul says, I, I wanted to teach you nothing else except that. That's of most importance. Flip a couple pages to the end of Corinthians, verse 15, 1 to 4. Paul reiterates this idea. First Corinthians 15, 1 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless I believe you believed in vain. Verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance, but I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, 
that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. What does verse 3 says? He says, I delivered to the people at Corinth, the church at Corinth, as of first importance, as of top tier, number one, the thing I want you to know above everything else is that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. That means he looks to the Old Testament and that Jesus Christ fulfilled all the prophecies of a coming Savior. Jesus is that Savior. So in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he raised on the third day, in accordance with the scripture. Again, it points us to what is the gospel, what is conversion? It's the acknowledgement, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. An acknowledgement that Jesus is God's son, the only one who is the savior for us. His work on the cross saved me. Have you put your faith in Jesus today? Have you put your faith in Jesus? You can sit through a message like this where we talk about gospel and we talk about conversion, but has it hit your heart to where you know, yeah, I've done that. Yeah, praise God. Yes, thank you, God. And, and, and your heart continually loves him. We want that to be what our church builds around, the gospel message. Has the gospel become old hat to you? I've thought of that expression. You know, I'm a person who loves hats. I'll buy hats. And as we walk by the, the lid store in any mall, I want to go in there and see if there's any good deals on a new hat. But what about that old hat? The hat you've loved for many years, and sometimes you think about using it, and you're like, hmm, it's kind of old, though. But you think about throwing it away, and you're like, well, no, I might want to use it sometime. So you keep it, and, but it's old hat, and it's not something that you think of and really want. Has the gospel become old hat to you? Has the gospel become something that's not important to you as much? Or is it new and shiny every time that you think about it? Does it, uh, does it permeate your weeks and your days? that I start my morning with thinking about the gospel. I do it through his word. And his word tells me about his, uh, the God's work in the Old Testament and the, the coming of the Savior and then his work into eternity. And do I look forward to having that, that interaction, that coming of Jesus Christ, seeing him face to face. Hopefully the gospel has not become old hat to you. Philippians 3, verse 7 says, But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul's talking here, and he's talking about his life. And he says that everything that I lived for before Christ brought me to an understanding and a realization of him, I put off. I've seen, now, I can't even imagine living for those things anymore. He says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which, that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul says everything else is garbage. Everything else in life compared to Christ is garbage. Uh, Everything else I live for, I don't want to live for anymore. Is that you when you think about the gospel? Is that you when you think about Christ? That's what we want our church to be revolved around, the gospel message and true conversion. And so even as we think about our church specifically, 
What this is, is what we try to focus our church around. Our main theme and goal of the church, you see in that middle circle, glorifying God together by making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. What we want to do is help people understand the gospel, help them grow, help them come to a realization that they need salvation through Jesus Christ. That's our goal. And every other aspect of what we want this church to focus on has to permeate with that message of the gospel. You look at all of those. Digging in. We want to dig into God's word because we want to understand the gospel more and have it affect our lives more. We want to live out and grow in obedience and worship. We want to do the things God has shown us that he has done through Jesus Christ. We want to love other people, care for other people, because that's what he's done for us. We want to connect with Christians that are growing in the gospel. And some have grown further and matured further than we have, and we want to build those relationships so that they can help us. And maybe there's younger, immature Christians that you can help along the way. We want to build those connections. We want to build up. We want to serve God's church so that his gospel message can go further and forward. Lastly, we want to reach out. We want to share uh, evangelize locally and world missions, all surrounded with the gospel. The gospel is what we are about. If a church becomes anything uh, about anything else besides the gospel, you're doing the wrong thing. It's a church that's really not a church of Jesus Christ. It's a church for their own purposes and for, sure, having some friends that you can hang out with. But we got to have the gospel message if we want to be a healthy, thriving church. That's what we want to look at, and hopefully your challenge this morning, first of all, to accept the gospel. Hopefully you don't hear this message and, and leave today and say, ah, it's not a big deal. Your sin is, is a big deal. It, it's an affront against a holy God that you will have to answer for in this life or the next. And I don't say that as a scary thing. I, I say that as a truthful thing. Have you dealt with that? H- have you recognized that your sin needs to be dealt with? You can't do it. You need Jesus Christ as your Savior because he has done it and he offers it to you. Have you accepted him? We know that it's not just that get-out-of-jail-free card, as Pastor Dan mentioned. It's much more than that. That as we accept him, it's a relationship with our Creator. He loves you. He wants to be there for you. And he, he will bring you the peace that nothing else can bring. But it's all found in Jesus Christ. Have you done that today? Understand the gospel. Proclaim it. Remember that your conversion is based on truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time today. We thank you for the gospel message and the reality of the gospel, Lord, that we are sinners. I've said it multiple times today. We are sinners. And God, you you looked down, you saw us, you did not want us to, to be destined for an eternity uh, of hell because we needed to pay for our sin. Uh, we do, God. You're holy. We, you can't be with, with sinners. But God, your love was shown to us as you gave us Jesus Christ. Help our hearts not to be hardened to your message and to the gospel. If there's anybody here, Lord, that has heard this for the first time with an open heart, Lord, help them to accept and to turn, repent of their sins, and accept you as their Savior, and Jesus Christ as their Savior. God, we thank you. We praise you for it. Help this be the heartbeat of our church, the gospel. That's what we want to stand on, Lord. Help us to, to, to give it to this community. 
and to everyone we come in contact with. Thank you for our time in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.